topic today out of the book of Nahum, chapter 1, The Wicked and the Righteous Compared. Okay, Nahum was a prophet who lived, uh, it doesn't say when he lived specifically, some of the prophets do say, we, you know, they prophesied during such and such king. Uh, some people believe during the time of Manasseh, and we just covered Manasseh, who lived son of uh, Hezekiah after the northern tribes of Israel were taken and dispersed uh, by the Assyrian uh, kingdom. And uh, Nahum might have reigned during the time of Manasseh, or prophesied during the time of Manasseh. And that would make sense for a number of different reasons. One thing that he doesn't say who he prophesied under. And uh, as we read about Manasseh the last couple of weeks, uh, we saw that he shed much innocent blood. And so he was probably killing the prophets who were prophesying against him. And so a prophet wouldn't necessarily uh, be making it known that he was prophesying during uh, Manasseh's time. So that could be. Plus, he starts his book by writing uh, chapter 1, verse 1, The Burden Against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. And uh, Nineveh was uh, where the Assyrians were coming from, or Nineveh was a city within Assyria, which, was, which attacked uh, northern Israel and then was attacking Judah as well. And eventually took Manasseh by the nose with hooks, wherever they put the hooks and dragged him uh, and bound him up and dragged him to, like a, like a fish on a line, uh, dragged him to, to Babylon. And so it could have been during that time that he, that he wrote. This is a, a picture of the um, archaeological remnants of Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh was prophesied to be no more, and it is no more. Actually, this is a rebuilt or a, a reconstructed uh, remains of Nineveh, and there's not much there from, from the pictures I saw. Kind of this portion that they did, and then uh, just a few other little things that they seem to have done to kind of try and reconstruct something for Taurus, but it's really not a whole lot uh, of remains left, or at least not archaeological money put into finding out was, what is there. But there is no city. There's a city outside of it. It's right outside Mosul, which has been in the news a lot lately. And so it's right outside Mosul in the area of modern-day Iraq. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges the Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great, and, and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. Well, contrary to public opinion, God is judge, and he is coming as judge, and he will judge the world. And he makes a difference between righteousness and wickedness, and he makes that clear in his word, and he will avenge, and he's furious at wrong choices, as rebellion against him. He will have vengeance on his enemies. That's why we don't have to worry about vengeance, because vengeance is the Lord's. He has his wrath, and he's reserving it. He will pour out his vials of wrath upon the earth, upon those who, who depart and reject and, and rebel against his word who have become his enemies, and at the same time, the Lord is slow to anger and in great power and will not at all acquit the wicked. 
And that phrase there is almost word for word from when Moses is up on the mountain and Moses says, let me see your glory. And the Lord says to him, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger, abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity, and goes on some more, but will in no wise acquit the wicked. Will no wise excuse the wicked. So while he is abundant in mercy, very long-suffering, very forgiving, very slow to anger, gives us time and time again. We saw that again with Manasseh. 55 years the king reigned. Most of that is a wicked king. All of that time, God waiting for him finally to repent. And what it took was hooking him and dragging him to Babylon for him to look up to God and sense his need. God was very merciful to him and very slow to anger with him. Finally got his attention and led him to repentance. And so the same with Nineveh. And we see that with Nineveh in the past, with Jonah going to Nineveh with a message, warning of destruction. And at that time, the Ninevites repented and turned to God, and God forgave them. Abundant in mercy. Very slow to anger. Jonah wanted them wiped out right then and there. But God didn't. And so God still, he's slow to anger. Abundant in long-suffering and mercy. But in the end, eventually, there is a, an accountability day. There is a judgment day. There is a time where he will pull out all the accounts and hold us according to the choices that we made. Our destiny is sealed one way or the other at death or at his coming. And he gives us time. He gives us opportunities. He tries to get our attention with blessings and sometimes with calamities, all out of mercy and love to try and get our attention so we can come to him because he loves us. And he knows that rebellion against him only means sadness and, and despair for ourselves and for all those around us. Manasseh's years of wickedness caused nothing but sadness for everyone. The innocent blood that he shed and all those that were affected by that, but also upon all those that he led into wickedness, which eventually caused the fall of Judah and Babylon to be able to come in and take us captive years later. And so God knows that. God knows that wrong choices just make us sad. Just make us miserable and everyone around us miserable. And he doesn't want that for us. And he doesn't want that for this world and he doesn't want it for the universe. And so eventually he's going to clean up this mess. He's been very long-suffering, thousands of years with us. But eventually he's going to bring it to an end. The experiment has been demonstrated, everyone will have made their decision either to follow God or not follow God, and even if he gives us another 55 billion years, no one's going to make their, change their mind, and they'll say, okay, it's time to close it off. Everyone's been warned, everyone's had their opportunity, everybody has made their choice, and then when he comes, he will close it off in righteousness. God is jealous. What's going on here? 
That is weird. Satan is angry. <laughs> I don't know, we could still see it, so we'll just go with that, right? All right. God is jealous, and the Lord, oh no, I can't see that. Avenges the Lord, avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and in great power. And we'll, okay, that's what we read. All right. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and storm, the clouds and the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and the rivers and makes it dry. The flat, like the flower of Lebanon wilts, the mountains quake before him. The hills melt and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. So he comes, this is describing his coming. When he comes, he comes in might, he comes in power, he comes in glory. And the whole earth is shaken up by it. The whole earth quakes at his presence. This is the same description, a similar description. We have in other passages in the Bible. Revelation is filled with descriptions like this. And Isaiah and other prophets. The Lord comes. He is almighty. He's not like a little puppy dog or a, or a stuffed animal or a teddy bear. No, the Lord comes. Yes, he's merciful. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he's kind. Yes, he's forgiving. But don't mistake his long-suffering with stupidity or with allowance of wickedness and wrath. Don't take his, you know, because we could, we could abuse our bodies and think, oh, look, I'm okay. My grandfather used to say, oh, the only thing that causes cancer is, uh, is breathing air. Everybody who ever got cancer breathed air. That's the problem, <laughs> you know, as his excuse for his smoking until eventually he got lung cancer and and, uh, and quit smoking. So just because it didn't happen in his first 50 years of smoking or 60 years of smoking didn't mean that God, that he wasn't destroying his body. And just because God allows wickedness to continue in the earth doesn't mean he approves of it. Because lightning doesn't come down and, and kill every sinner every time they sin doesn't mean that we can just continue doing it. He will come. And the earth will melt. The hills will melt. The earth heaves at his presence. And the whole world and all who dwell in it, all who dwell in it will melt. All who dwell in it will quake. All who dwell in it will be shaken up. It's going to melt this earth. Hell is a whole lot hotter than people think. He's going to melt it to pieces. And destroy it all. The elements will melt with fervent heat, it says in 2 Peter. The earth and all that is in it will melt and burn up. It's going to destroy all the garbage here. Oh, we've been polluting this place and just piling the stuff up. And he's got to melt it all down. He's got to cleanse it all. He's got to burn it all up. First time he destroyed this earth with a flood, 
Next time it says with fire. And here's a, just another one of those descriptions over and over again throughout the Bible. The Bible's consistent. A lot of writers over a long period of time, most of whom didn't even meet each other, and yet the message is consistent all throughout it. Another testifying that the Bible is true. And he said Nineveh is going to be destroyed, and it was. And it was never going to be inhabited again, and it's not. The Lord will come with fire. God testifies, it is true. He testifies over and over again. The consistency of God's word proves its validity. And also, the accuracy of the prophecies that have already come to pass, which also tell us that the other prophecies are going to come to pass as well. So just as Nahum was right about what happened in Nineveh, he's right about what will happen to the whole world. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is turned out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Even the righteous are going to say, who can stand before his presence? The glory of the Lord is so bright, he has to shield himself from us. But when he comes again, he's going to come in all of his presence, in all of his power, in all of his glory. It'll be awesome. And that same glory, to the righteous will be joy, and to the wicked will be, hide us from the face of the Lamb. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. The same presence, the same Lord. Just as the same sunshine can melt wax, that can harden clay. Hardens one, softens another. All depends on the makeup of the product. And we're the makeup, what we choose. What we choose to be. We choose to surrender and, and be submissive to him, or whether we choose to harden our hearts against him. It's the same God demonstrating the same love, the same blessings, and the same calamities to get our attention, to draw us to him. The Lord is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble. And the Lord knows those who trust in him. So the contrast. So he's long-suffering, slow to anger, but he's powerful, and he will have his day of wrath. But he also knows those who are on his side. So there's the two sides. Those who've chosen to surrender him, we're all born wicked, but it's those who chose to surrender their wickedness to him, those who've confessed their sins to him, those who've allowed him to come inside them and have accepted the Messiah's death for the forgiveness of their sins, for the destruction of that wicked carnal nature, and for the infilling of God's spirit to change us and to transform us. That's the only difference between the wicked and the righteous. We're all born the same. We all have the same propensities. We all have the same inclinations. We're all perverse at heart. We say, well, just leave me alone. I was born this way. Well, then we're all born that way and we're all corrupt. And God doesn't want to leave us that way. He wants to recreate us into his image. That word recreate is the same word spelt the same way as recreation. That's what we've done in the world. We've wrecked his creation. 
And he wants to recreate us into his image. That's how he originally created Adam and Eve until they fell and chose to take on Satan's nature. And we've been born since then from that. So the Lord is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble. When he comes, he doesn't, again, poof us out before the fierceness and the plagues and the wrath. But he's a stronghold through that day of trouble. The righteous run to it and hide in it, as it says in the Psalms. He's a strong tower. Like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, thrown into the fiery furnace. God didn't spare them from the furnace, but he protected them in the furnace of affliction. Our Lord will see us through the time of trouble, through the day of God's wrath. And he knows, he knows those that are his, just like the plagues in Egypt. The plagues in Egypt fell upon, the first three plagues fell upon everybody, even those landing in Goshen, living in Goshen. The children of Israel. But the seven last of those ten plagues only fell on the rest of Egypt, but did not fall in Goshen. And God knows in the seven last plagues of this earth's history, God knows those who trust in him. Then say those who were born good. Those who trust in him. That's the key. Not trusting in self. Not our own good works. Not, well, just accept me the way I am. This is how I am. This is how I was born. No, but those who put their trust in him. And the Lord is good and a stronghold to those who know in their own strength we can do nothing. No good thing can we do without him. So we trust in him. We put our confidence in him. Those who trust in him, he is a stronghold too. Rabbi Paul said, when I am weak, that's when I am strong. We are weak, thus we trust in him, and he is the stronghold. And he will protect us in that day of trouble. He will shield us through that storm. But with an overwhelming flood, the Lord will make, he will make an utter end of his place, darkness will pursue his enemies. So again, the contrast. So to those who trust in the Lord, those that have surrendered their lives to him, he's a stronghold in a tower, but to those who resist him, those who have made themselves his enemy, those who've chosen to remain as his enemy, again, we're all born as his enemy. We're all born with a nature that the Bible says is enmity against God, that is an enemy against God. We're all born as enemies against God. It's an absolute miracle God's miracle that any of us choose to choose him. And that's what he makes available to all of the, on this planet. But those who reject it, those who choose to continue to make themselves his enemy, he'll make an utter end. Utter end. How long is an utter end? Utterly. It's utterly, that's right. It's the other end of the... It is... A forever end. Again, hell is a lot hotter than people think. Devours, it melts, it destroys. It makes an utter end once and for all. A complete end. A total end. Of his enemies. 
What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise a second time. This is a beautiful passage. Tucked away here in, in, in Nahum, not, med, not read much book, not quoted much book, but this quote here is just so precious because this is the assurance that affliction will not rise a second time. Sin will not rise a second time. Rebellion against God will not rise a second time. We have an assurance right here in this passage that when God does away with the wicked, away with Satan and all of his evil angels, no one throughout all eternity will ever choose to rebel against God ever again. And thus, affliction will not rise up a second time. It rose up once in Lucifer. He rebelled. He deceived one-third of the angels, sent down to this earth, cast down to this earth, deceived Adam and Eve. It was the first time that affliction came into God's universe. But he promises us it will not happen again. Why won't it happen again? Because we will be used by God to warn the rest of the universe. And anyone who God creates after us, don't go there. Don't even you hear someone saying, yeah, I don't know if God's such a good God. I wonder what it would be like if we did it differently. No, no, don't think that. <laughs> don't go down that path. I'll show you why. And then we get out the videotape, plug that in, say, this is what it was like for 6,000 years in rebellion against God. This is the suffering and the affliction and the heartache and the deaths and the sicknesses and the troubles that take place upon any that rebel against God. And so we will be warning the universe. I've been there, done that, don't do it. And it will not arise a second time. That's a wonderful assurance. It's not because Satan won't be around. You know, there was a comedian who used to say, the devil made him do it. The devil didn't make him do it. The devil didn't make you do anything. No one made you mad. No one made you angry. We choose to sin. It's our choices. Don't going to make us do it. Because who made Lucifer get angry? Who made Lucifer sin, right? See, well, we blame it all on the devil. Well, if the devil is gone or the devil is chained up, then we'll all be good. Well, then again, who made him bad to begin with? He chose to be bad. One third of the angels followed him, chose to be bad. Adam and Eve chose to be bad. We were then born with an inclination to be bad. And then we choose to be bad on top of that inclination. And so God will destroy that, will destroy that inclination. He can do that now. He does that right now in our hearts and minds. But temptation was there for Lucifer. Temptation was there in the Garden of Eden. There'll always be the opportunity, but God promises. It's not because the opportunity to sin won't be there for eternity, but because no one will ever choose to. And we have the assurance God promises because God can see to the future and he knows that no one will rise up in rebellion against him ever again. And that's why he's allowed this planet to go on the way it has. That's why he's allowing, in his long-suffering, allowing, giving Lucifer enough chain, to enough rope, to, to literally hang himself. So that all the universe will see what rebellion against God actually looks like. 
the end result of it. And thus, affliction will not rise a second time. Again, a wonderful, wonderful promise. For while tangled like thorns and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. So totally, again, destroyed three times in this chapter already. Devoured, utter end, melt. God will devour the wicked. If you devoured the apple, there's nothing left. You ate it core and everything, right? You devoured it. You devoured the pie. There's nothing left. The crust and crumbs, it's all gone. Devours it. Another passage in Malachi says he devours the wicked. Not root or branch left. And that's rare. If you've ever seen a fire, a house fire or a, or a uh, forest fire, there's usually trunks still up. There's usually some walls or some things that didn't burn still left. But he says neither, neither um, no stubble, no, no root. Even down in the roots, the fire will burn. Every part of the tree, every part of everything will be devoured. That's what it'll do to the wicked. Totally destroy nothing left. Again, hell is hot, much hotter than most people think. He devours it all, destroys it all, once and for all. One comes forth who plots against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and many, yet they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. So a wicked one, he's predicting, will come. The anti-Messiah power will come and will be many. All the world will wander after the beast. A wicked counselor. And they feel like they're safe in their numbers and in their power and their might. And they can decree that you will not be able to buy or sell if you do not follow the beast. They will rule over the world. And many will fall at that time and fall, follow them. Yet, the beast's power will eventually be cut, off, cut down when God passes through. When the Lord comes in his might and his glory, he will destroy it all. So things on this earth, you think it's bad now, and we really haven't seen anything hardly in this country. It's going to get a time of trouble such as the world has never seen. But the Lord will be a stronghold to those who trust in him. Amen. And God will allow it go to the extent again so all the universe will see how decadent those that reject God, whether human or angelic, reject God, become. And then he will come to deliver his saints. And he will pass through, he will walk through, and he will put an end to them, another end. Devour them, he will cut them down as he passes through. And even though he's allowed us to be afflicted through that time, even though he'll allow martyrs through that time, even though he will allow us to go through suffering and, and fear and pain and, and hardship, he will sustain us and see us through, just as he's done down through the ages to those who've suffered for his sake. And though I have afflicted you, I will break off his yoke and burst your bonds apart. He will set us free. He will deliver us. He will come. He will come right on time. Again, he didn't deliver 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Anariah before they went into the fire, but they stood firm and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, our God is able to deliver us and will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your statue. Throw them in the fire. God allowed them to go into the fire. He allowed them to be bound up. He allowed them to be afflicted. He allowed them to be thrown in. But he did not allow them to be burned up. He stood by them and the Messiah was there with them. And God will stand by our side and be a strong tower for us and will see us through it all. Story after story in the scriptures. God allowed David to go through affliction. God allowed us to go through affliction in Egypt. God allowed us to go through affliction time and time again, but he sees us through. He says, I will afflict you no more. Not allow us to go through it anymore. He allowed us to go through the Holocaust, but he's seen us through. I will break off this yoke from you and I will set you free. I will burst their bonds apart. Wonderful promise to hold on to those who endure to the end. Patient endurance on the part of the saints. Takes endurance, holding on, trusting in the Lord. That will see us through to the end. The Lord has given a commandment concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Talking about to that evil one, talking about all evil, talking about Lucifer and all those who follow him, the anti-Messiah and all that are follow him. He will, their name no more. Today's stupid society puts people, wicked people's names. Yeah, like they're great. Publish them over and over and over again. There's even museums of wicked people and mass murderers and all crazy things and publicize it and give it all that attention. God says, your name is going to be blotted out. (laughs) Not going to be any streets named after you. Not going to be anything named after you. It's going to be blotted out. They have all the wicked names down to ages that we know today. Shouldn't know at all. Should we blot it out? God's going to blot them out. Cut it off. Name shall be perpetuated no longer. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. So again, the contrast, what he's going to do to the wicked and what he does for those who trust in him. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. Do you imagine that? Today, someone talking about someone and say, oh, they got beautiful feet. <laughs> you got to behold their feet. Oh, you got to come see this person's feet. I mean, this, is a, this person is really something. They got the best feet in the whole world. I've never seen such feet like this. That's what God says. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. Rabbi Paul paraphrases it in Romans chapter 10, verse 6. How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. God calls our feet beautiful when we go forth for him, proclaiming his word. Going forth and not just gathering together. It's great for us to gather together you know, a couple times a week. Strengthens us, 
builds our faith, builds our trust in the Lord. But the rest of the week, we need to be out there going and sharing and ministering and telling the world, whether in our, where we work or where we go to school or in our neighborhood or whatever communities we're in, whatever hobbies we are involved in, whatever activities, and we should get involved in things for the purpose of inter in connecting with the community around us. With a singleness of mind and a purpose to proclaim the good news. Go to all the world. Be used by God to reach this city and the surrounding area. Support the Shalom Adventure website to, to help that to reach other parts that we can't reach. And other missionary endeavors looking for opportunities to proclaim the good news because that's what God calls beautiful. That's God's calling upon us. That's God's desire for us. And as we're filled with his spirit, we will have a, the same burden that he has, the same long-suffering that he has, the same slow to anger and mercy that he has, and the desire to see the wicked be transformed just as God transformed us. And he'll use us and send us forth as ambassadors for him, which is amazing. He'll take us and let us be his representative. God says, I can't go, so you go in my place. How about that? Right? Whatever some sports star says, oh, I can't bat today, I throw my arm. Can you, uh, can you go and bat for me? Can you go throw the football for me? I'm not feeling good today. President, I got to go, I'm scheduled to go to some country. I can't go. You go and represent the country for me. Bill Gates has an important meeting with all these billionaires, or Warren Buffett's got all this important meeting. I can't make it. I want you to go and represent the company for me. God says, I, I want you to go and represent me to this world. Let them see what I'm like, let them see what I look like. Let them see how I think. Let them see how I act. Let them see my power manifested in you. Let them see how your life was changed. How I took you from carnal and enmity against me and, and wicked, and how I changed you and made you loving, patient, long-suffering, forgiving, and yet not excusing sin, still calling sin, sin, how you can love the sinner and yet hate the sin that they're doing. Show the world what I look like. Go forth. I'll fill you with my spirit. I'll let my mind be placed in you. And I will shine out of you. Go forth as my ambassadors. That's our calling. That's our job. That's why you're alive. That's the only reason we're alive. Ever wondered what your purpose is in life, why you're alive, why you're still alive? That's why you're still alive. That's it. See, the wicked are still alive because God wants them to repent. <laughs> but you're still alive because God wants you to go reach the wicked. That's our call. And when he's done using us, that's it. He can have us. <laughs> he can have the body. I don't care. Be happy to be done. But as long as we have breath, he calls us to proclaim, oh, where'd it go? Hey, came back. <laughs> How about that? 
Oh, it's gone again. Screwy. All right, well, whatever. He wants us to go and bring good news upon the mountaintops. O Judah, keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. He has experienced his utter end. He has been devoured. He has been destroyed. He has been melted. The wicked will not, affliction will not rise its head up a second time. And we will be able to rejoice in the Lord in new heavens and the new earth, celebrating from Sabbath to Sabbath, from new moon to new moon, rejoicing in the Lord, coming down to the new Jerusalem, eating from the tree of life, and worshiping the Lord and celebrating the Lord with our country home and our city home, and traveling to other universes and galaxies and proclaiming the good news about God. So even when we get to heaven, we won't retire from our mission. We're supposed to do it here, proclaim good news. We do it right here, then he'll let us go to the other galaxies and do it there as well. That'll be our promotion. And the benefits are out of this world. <laughs> so as we pray, surrender to the Lord, thank him for his goodness to us. If you're going through affliction right now, trust in the Lord. Allow him to be your stronghold. If you're being attacked right now, Trust in the Lord. If the wicked one has come upon you, trust in the Lord. Run to the strong tower. Run and hide in him and be secure in him. Satan's tempting you with thoughts of giving up, your feet are getting tired and worn out. Trust in the Lord. Do not grow weary in well-doing, for we shall receive the reward. You're getting tired of preaching and sharing and ministering, maybe being rejected. Ask the Lord to give you his endurance, his strength to proclaim and to go on. Ask him to give you his power and his might. Is there still any wickedness in us? Any area of our life that's not surrendered to the Lord? Any sin still in us? Any resistance and rebellion against God? Allow him to destroy it now. If we've been taking for granted his long-suffering mercy, feeling like, well, we've gotten away with it this long and maybe it's not so bad. We were convicted at one time and resisted. Surrender it to the Lord. Allow him to change your heart. Allow him to transform you. And allow him to live inside you. Allow him to work his goodness and glory in you. Allow him to take the wickedness away and to bury it in Calvary. Let him fill you with his spirit, his mind. Any of those areas apply to you or something else God is speaking to you about? Maybe you're just rejoicing that wickedness will not rise up a second time. Maybe you're hearing God's call to go proclaim the good news on some mountain, on some building, or on some beach, or in some road, or at some office or at someone's desk. Ask God to give you his spirit to go before you and his power and his words, his actions to speak through you.
Can any of those areas apply to you or something else God's speaking to you tonight about? Let us receive of God's Spirit as we pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we're thankful that you are all-powerful and your might is demonstrated and proclaimed. We're thankful, Lord, for your goodness to us. We're thankful you've been very slow to anger with us. We're thankful, Lord, that you've given us opportunity to come to you. We're thankful, Lord, that you have taken our carnal natures and taken it into yourself. Thank you, Yeshua, for dying for it and removing it from us. Thank you for filling us with your spirit and live inside us. Give us your proper balance. Live inside us with love for everyone and abhorrence of sin in our own lives first and foremost and a warning to others as well. Use us and make our smelly feet beautiful in your sight. Going forth to proclaim your goodness, to warn this world, to prepare them for your coming. For those of us that are afflicted, those of us that are going through trials, difficulties, whether financial or physical or emotional or interpersonal, Lord, minister to our needs. Lord, fill us with your faith and fill us with trust. Surround us in your strong tower. Hide us under your wings. Give us power to move forward and to endure to the end. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.